Uh, before we get started with this week's episode, we would love to invite members of our audience to join us in person at one of our two customer experience forums this fall. Uh, we will be in San Francisco on October 22nd and 23rd uh, for the first of our two events, and in London the next month on November 16th and 17th. For more information on either of these events, please go to Forrester.com and look under the uh, events uh, tab, and we'd love to meet you in person. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Forrester CX Cast. Along with my co host Sam Stern, I'm Deanna Laufer, um, and I'm here today joined by Senior Analyst on the Application Development and Delivery Team at Forrester, Ian Jacobs. Welcome, Ian. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Ian is our expert in all things uh, call center, contact center, uh, with a focus on customer experience. And so, Ian, we want to ask you about some of your research today. Specifically, it seems like there is an inherent tension between the contact center's approach of focusing on cost reduction and a focus on improving customer experience. Is there a way that brands can succeed at marrying these two goals that seem somewhat conflicting? Yeah, it's uh, the inherent tension of the contact center world these days. This idea of can we focus on the things that we know how to do, which is take costs out of the business, and also improve customer experience, which we're hearing from our CXO, if we have one, or the CEO, or even from marketing, right? That there's that tension. Uh, the first thing that, that companies can do to marry these two goals is to actually recognize that it's really a false dichotomy. Right. Forrester's research shows that CX improvements in CX actually drives improvements in revenue. So in that sense, uh, better customer service driving better CX is actually sales in the age of the customer. So, you know, you look at retail banks, for example, and our research shows that a single point improvement in their customer experience index score equates to, I don't know, something about $16 million improvement in revenue. And that's kind of on the low end, because if you look at luxury auto manufacturers, the revenue bumps about double that. So first of all, you got to stop thinking about uh, customer experience, or in this case, customer service, driving customer experience, as simply a cost center and recognize that investments in it are investments in improving revenue. But there are also like very practical things that, that you know my clients do to help uh, marry these two goals, uh, often around self-service. Uh, our data shows that, at least in the U.S., online adults prefer web self-service over any other channel. And that's the first mm -hmm. time in our, our survey's history that that's happened. Uh, in 2014, I think it was 76% uh, said that they had used web self-service. Uh, the phone, you know, actually dialing an 800 number and talking to an agent was only 73%. And then if you add in other things like peer-to-peer -peer support through communities and voice self-service like IVR and some forms of SMS, you see that service without an agent is clearly the consumer's preference. So focusing on that, which tends to be lower cost, uh, as a way to drive better customer experience. Focus on the customer experience and self-service. One thing that actually really underscores this is 
you know, satisfaction with the service you receive by each channel, when we ask consumers, voice calls with an agent is still the highest. So there's clearly room for improvement around all of these self-service channels. Uh, and that's where we think you know, companies are going to get the best bang for the buck, so to speak. They're going to lower costs and drive better CX. So a couple of just very quick ideas here. You can personalize self-service. You can make it proactive and dynamic. Just a, a real-world example here. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was trying to do a wire transfer from the U.S. to Southeast Asia. And it's an amazing thing that, at that point anyway, banks didn't have a real SLA for me for how long that would take. So for me to find out whether the funds actually had cleared, I had to keep calling the bank over and over and over again. This was before I had a, you know, a banking app that I could check on my phone. And I called and I hit that voice self-service, the IVR system, and it had the same menu every time. And I navigated the exact same tree that, you know, every time to find out, no, it hasn't cleared yet. And I would call back two hours later and do the same thing. You can actually now make dynamic changes to the IVR to say, oh, this person has called in four times, three times about the same thing. Maybe we should actually present a different set of options to him the next time he calls in, if he calls in within like an hour and say, are you trying to do X? If yes, then say one. If no, then say two, and then the IVR would present the normal list. So you can cut down my frustration significantly there by you know, making it dynamic, understanding who I am and what I'm trying to do, use the information that you've already gathered about who I am and what I'm trying to do to improve the experience and self-service. And again, I think that's probably the biggest thing for the buck that, that companies are going to get in uh, cost reduction and improving CX at the same time. That's interesting. It seems like a missed opportunity for gamification there, Ian. They could have uh, timed you each time you went through the uh, the menu and, and, and shared your scores back with you. Hey, this time you did it in 14 seconds. Got to your answer <laughs> that no, your wire transfer hadn't cleared yet. Um, well, yeah. that's in, it's really interesting, I think, the idea that, that uh, people are shifting more towards channels that they report less satisfaction with, right? Um, I mean, I, w I feel like I would chalk myself up to that, right? I, I Sort of try to avoid calling in if I can help it, but I get frustrated the second I don't get the answer I'm looking for online uh, or exactly. online chat. I mean, is this is this linked to sort of you know just generational shifts? I mean, we're we seeing you know uh, changes happening because millennials are actually finally are out of their parents' basements, at least some of them, and have money to spend and are customers of these companies. Is that why this is shifting this way? Uh, well, it's one of the reasons. Uh, if you actually look at the data that we have about channel usage, so I, I cited the numbers about web self-service versus phone, but we have numbers for chat and email and using Twitter for social support. And all of those are rising in usage except for phone for everybody. Yeah. But when you look at the under 35 generation, it becomes much more extreme. They're using all channels. And I think what's really going on is not so much that <clears throat> they prefer different channels, although they do. Um, it's more that they have less notion of channel silos. They use whatever works in that exact moment, and then three seconds later, something else is more convenient, and they switch to that. Whereas, you know, my generation, I was raised to send emails, because I was, you know, the first generation with email at work all the time. It was just pervasive, and to pick up the phone. So I think of service in those terms. Millennials don't. They just use whatever is working at the moment. Um, and, you know, it goes to some of my other research that I'm hoping we'll talk about later about 
you know, not wanting to break the frame of the, the experience that you're having at that moment to try and get service. Millennials are very intent on that idea. Whatever I'm doing should include service. So if I'm in an app, I'm going to try and do mobile self-service. If I happen to be doing something where I'm not looking at my screen, then maybe I'll use the phone. Um, but millennials also have a different, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but a different brain. I mean, it, it sounds blunt. All of our <laughs> brains are changing, frankly. You know, there's a, a whole field of neuropsychology called neuroplasticity that talks, uh, studies how our brain changes based on input. And neuroplasticity researchers have basically said that our tools are shaping us as much as we're shaping our tools. Hmm. Uh, and millennials are, like, more impacted that, by that than, than somebody my age because they use these tools much more often than I do. Um, and that actually changes the way they think, the way that they work. So, you know, you've pointed out millennial change might uh, be responsible for one of the one of the drivers, anyway, for why there's a move towards self-service channels, channels that have less satisfaction. That's the consumer angle. But, you know, companies also have contact centers with thousands of agents. And who works in those? young people who are willing to take low pay. So, you know, huh. when they get out of their basement, they're likely to end up working in a contact center, at least a lot of them. So, you know, companies also need to start to think about this problem from the inside out and say, what are the tools that we need to provide to this new generation of millennials who think differently, who work differently, so that we can enable them to actually succeed in providing customer service to our customers, right? So it's a, a two-pronged problem that companies are looking at right now. Yeah, it sounds like another opportunity to, you know, personalize or at least customize in some way, right? Uh, millennials, if you're talking to other millennials, go ahead and, um, you know, reflect the experience you might want. But uh, don't forget that the uh, the older generations might have different expectations for the, the service that you'll provide. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when it, that's definitely true. And that's one of the keys there is providing knowledge to the agent or yeah. context to the agent about who the customer is and what they've done. And one of the things that uh, I wrote pretty extensively about over the, my time at Forrester is this changing notion of what kind of tools agents need. Uh, and a lot of it was driven by that neuroplasticity research I mentioned. And the, the conclusion there is really summed up by a contact center manager that I spoke to in the Philippines. He ran a contact center that had about 5,000 agents in it, so a very big contact center. And he said his newest breed of agents don't want to know anything they just want to know where to find things. Huh. And it's just like, hey, yeah, does that you know, match what you're seeing as well, Sam? Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I would say um, the reality of, uh, for, you know, culture change uh, at companies is they're saying, we can't train people and then expect them to just adapt their behaviors. We have to provide ongoing and immediate access to information in the moment so that when they're in a situation or, you know, they have a, a minute on their break, and I'm picturing a retail employee here, they yeah. can call up on their, you know, smartphone um, the the latest training uh, bit, uh, oh. and it's, you know, in bits, right, rather than, you know, huge mm -hmm. presentations. Or yeah, they yeah. can um, pose a question on our intranet to a colleague who will answer it, and in answering it we'll get, you know, sort of a... Um, some sort of status point that you know rewards them for answering these questions. So yeah, so we are seeing that outside of contact centers as, as well, sort of echoing what you just yeah. said. Yeah, and it's part of a yeah. larger trend, which is 
you know, people don't store as much knowledge about certain things. Like if you think about all the phone numbers that you have memorized these days, <laughs> I, I probably know five phone numbers by heart and the rest of it are just sitting in my <laughs> cell phone. But as long as I can access them quickly, then that's okay. Right. I can still do what I need to do. So even if, like you're saying, these these knowledge workers don't have the knowledge in their heads, as long as they have the right tools where they can access the information quickly, then there isn't necessarily a negative effect, right? I, I agree. It's sort of play to the strengths of the people you have, right? And in this case, you have people who don't want to retain scads of knowledge. But I would actually say that being able to search for information, which these people are good at, right? This is actually what their brains have been literally rewired to be able to do. They're great at search. Mm -hmm. Search is inefficient. In the moment of a call, you're talking to a customer, having to stop and search. One, costs more because it extends the length of the call. Two, it costs more because you're frustrating the customer by making them wait. So what we're seeing and what we're definitely recommending is the company start to focus on ways to provide guidance to the agent so they don't need to learn um, the obscure processes that they might need to do for some kind of corner case uh, customer service issue. Show them how to do it, literally walk them through step by step on the screen. But also, while they're working with the customer, take the context of what's going on and start proactively surfacing knowledge that might answer that customer's question without the agent ever having to search for it. So an example there is you're an agent and you're entering information into some kind of case management or trouble ticketing system. Right. And as you're typing, it's scanning what you're typing, comparing that to other cases that have been solved with similar you know, text in those fields and start surfacing that proactively to the agent. So the agent doesn't ever have to look for it. So I think what you're saying, Deanna, is true, but you could take it a step farther and actually be much more proactive when you're dealing with agent because speed is important in those situations. That's great. I mean, in a, in a sense, that's almost a, um, the, the technology being providing proactive support to the agents so that they can provide proactive service. Absolutely. And, you know, you can do that for consumers, too. If you think about what yeah. you would have to do often for chat, right? You want to chat with a, a customer service agent from a website. Usually there's a form you fill out talking about what your problem is. So you could tune that same tool to scan the text of the chat form that you're filling in and start proactively surfacing knowledge to the customer so that you never actually, as a customer, have to talk to an agent because people don't want to talk to agents if they don't have to. <laughs> right. So, right. Right, it's, so what's true for the agent side is all, almost always true for the customer side, too. So looking ahead a, a few years, Ian, what does the future of customer service look like? I mean... Are agents going to go away? Are we all going to be talking to, to virtual agents on our wearable, wearable devices? I mean, what, a, what do you see happening? Well, so the virtual agents is an interesting, in fact, it's an intriguing area to me. Uh, it's, it's one of those areas where I'm completely bearish on the present state and completely bullish on the future state. Hmm. Right? Uh, and the reason is that the tools that exist today that are specifically tuned to provide customer service are, and to use the terrible term, uh, terrible, 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 terrible. They suck. <laughs> All right, I'll just say it. They suck. Uh, so why uh, I'm actually, though, optimistic is there are a whole bunch of companies out there that are focused on things like speech recognition and natural language, but not on customer service. They're building these tools, these virtual agents, uh, that are supposed to help us in our everyday lives. But the implications 
for customer service are really pretty profound. And the newer tools, so the ones that don't really exist yet, but we're starting to see little hints of it, so maybe three years from now we'll start to see this, uh, they start to understand context, and they can pull from data sources that don't seem immediately relevant. So, like, let me give you an example. You know, I should be able to say to one of these things, uh, help me find a plane ticket from San Francisco to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a seat big enough for Shaq. And that system should be able to know that Shaq means Shaquille O'Neal, be able to figure out what data source will provide the height of Shaquille O'Neal, and then compare that to the airline uh, seat map to be able to say, okay, we need you know an extra large, maybe a first-class-only seat. Right? So it should be able to understand the way that we actually talk and understand that context. And then also, become, they're becoming more conversational. Right now, most of the existing tools, you say something, it says something back, and then it's Groundhog Day, because the very next thing you say is completely disconnected from what you said before. So going back to my example of the, the plane flight, you know, if the system comes back and says the, the fare is $820, and I say, okay, how about to, to Cheyenne, Wyoming? It should know that I've kept the conversation going, and the context is still about that airline flight, and actually become more conversational. So that's one thing that is coming. The other thing that I think is coming really quickly is uh, social, our idea of social customer service is changing. When you look at social customer service tools providers, they're starting to include things that I don't even think are social tools hmm. in the data that they're pulling in. They're using messaging tools like WeChat and WhatsApp, or at least they're trying to. Huh. And I think that's very interesting because those, those channels are really distinct in their usage as customer service tools. With something like Twitter, customers actually go to Twitter to try and get customer service. But what we've seen mostly with the messaging apps is it's not a service destination. It's a place you go to do something else, to respond to a marketing offer in WeChat. Certainly, you can buy lots of things. So uh, you're there for something else, and then you have a service need around that something else, and the companies need to respond. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, those kinds of, I mentioned keeping in the frame of the experience earlier. This is what I'm talking about. If I'm in WeChat to buy something, you shouldn't have to leave WeChat to go to a website or to a different mobile app to get customer service and support. And that's changing pretty quickly. Um, and I think that is going to be the future. Wherever you are, service is going to be embedded into that experience. That will be true for native mobile apps. If you're a gamer, you're already starting to see the ability to chat with agents and look at knowledge bases inside the frame of the game. So, you know, gaming in this case is the leading edge. Look at what gaming companies are doing and figure out how you're going to be able to do that in three to five years because your customers are really going to expect that. Interesting. So, you know, if you're talking about a WeChat interaction or, you know, an in-game chat, um, are we still thinking of metrics like average handle time, first call resolution? I mean, what happens to how companies measure success in customer service or, or track, you know, the, um, the performance of, of employees who are delivering customer service? Yeah, metrics are fascinating. You know, it goes back to the, the tension that we started this conversation around, right? Are we, what are we as a customer service organization? Are we yeah. about efficiency? Are we an engine for removing costs from the business? Or are we a driver of better CX? And metrics 
should reflect what the, the, the organization decides its actual goal is. Otherwise, the metrics are meaningless. Uh, and the change that you just pointed out uh, is one of the drivers for an increased focus on customer experience metrics. But it goes even beyond the, the specific metrics like average handle time and average speed to answer, you know, those kind of things. Um, there's a growing perception even today, so forget five years from now, but if CX really matters, right, if, if everything that we're being told about what we should be doing in the contact center really should be around CX, then the way we measure success needs to reflect that. It, it needs to become the dominant prism through which we look at performance, basically. And so what we're suggesting to our clients and trying to help work, you know, work with them on is doing a census of all the metrics that they're gathering now. Everything. Like, really everything. You can yeah. look at it for chat, you can look at it for self-service, whatever. And then try and find out what your boss's boss's boss and the CEO use as KPIs to drive the business. What do they care about? And then map. Map every single metric to those broader corporate KPIs. And if what you're measuring doesn't map in some way as influencing that KPI, why the heck are you measuring it? Right? You're not doing yourself any good. Right. You're certainly not doing the company any good. This is actually also great, by the way, for enlightened self-interest. If you want to have a business case for justifying more budget for some kind of technology improvement project or transformation project, being able to show that you're a driver for incremental revenue through cross-sell, for example, is a great way to get budget. If your CEO is on a tear about improving NPS and you can prove the way that you're measuring and optimizing your chat operation improves the NPS for the whole company, you're going to get the budget to help improve what you're doing and make it even better. So this has like two benefits. You're going to improve CX, but you're also going to improve your own standing within the organization and show what we, I think a lot of us know instinctively, certainly those of us in the call center world know, which is it's a huge driver of customer experience, positive or negative, but it's at least a huge driver for customer experience. We may as well invest in making it a positive one, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, Ian, I feel like we have a lot more questions for you, but we're going <laughs> to have to wait for another time, maybe have you back on the podcast soon. Well, the, it was a pleasure. I had a lot of fun to talk to you guys. Sure. In the meantime, I would urge our listeners to check out uh, two reports uh, related to some of the topics we talked with Ian about today. One is called Focus on Three New Service Experiences to Thrive in the Age of the Digital Customer. And the other one is called Retool for a New Workforce Reality, New Technology for a New Breed of Agent. Um, so thanks again, Ian, and we will see everyone next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's CXCast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in this episode in the podcast show notes. For questions or suggestions, please contact me at dlaufer at forester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. Mm -hmm.